Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson. I am an author, yoga teacher, healer, social worker, dismantling racism trainer, activist, and grief worker. This podcast emerged from work based in the exploration of collective grief and liberation. It exists to remind us about all the ways we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times and to remind us about the resilience and joy that comes from allowing ourselves to find refuge. I'm so excited you're here for this episode of Finding Refuge. It was an honor to interview Keisha Battles. I'll share a little bit more about Keisha now. Keisha is a full-time yoga teacher and trainer and has a respected and well-deserved reputation in the national yoga community. She's the co-director of the Yoga Retreat for Women of Color and a member of the Board of Directors for Amplify and Activate, a nonprofit community that focuses on yoga as a form of self-care and social justice. In addition to teaching through her own I Am Yoga organization, Keisha has been the yoga director at Charlotte Family Yoga Center and has taught for the YMCA of Greater Charlotte. She's a Yoga Alliance registered yoga teacher trainer and has conducted numerous impactful workshops. She has been featured in the book Yes, Yoga Has Curves and other publications. With a graduate degree in Asian studies, Keisha brings knowledge of Asian philosophy, religion, and language, as well as Eastern philosophy, including Taoism, Buddhism, and Hinduism. In addition to being a teacher, she is a wife and a mother. When Keisha does not sit down, she's reading, meditating, and breathing. I hope you enjoy this episode. We talked about many, many things, and Keisha offered a lot of medicine. Thanks for listening. Hello, Keisha. Thank you for being here with me today. Hi, Michelle. Welcome. Thank you for having me here today. Yeah, I'm excited to spend time with you and hear more about whatever it is you'd like to share and hear more about your story. And with that, I would love for you to share some about who you are and what you do in the world, however you want to answer that question. I'm Keisha Battles. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, Catawba land, native New Yorker, Long Island. I spent most of my life in New Jersey where I met my husband, my partner, my college sweetheart, who I cherish. I have two boys, Toby and Elijah, and the three of them, they afford me this life as a full-time yoga teacher. I teach full-time. I've been in this space for about 10 years. I'm actually celebrating my 10-year anniversary from leaving corporate, from starting to teach yoga as a full-time thing. So I'm very grateful in the present space. That's who I am. That's a little bit about who you are. And thank you for sharing that. And I would love, because we've never talked about it, to hear how you came to yoga or yoga came to you, how you began to practice yoga. How I came to yoga really was academic studies, or that's how yoga found me. I attended Seton Hall University, which is up in New Jersey, and where I met my husband. And I had a minor degree in Asian studies. My focus was Chinese. And really, actually, let me take a step back. You're from North Carolina. So I went to Benel Smith, which is in Greensboro, North Carolina. And that was back in the early 90s. And my school was designated as the English as a second language school. And I know a lot of people think of that maybe as a Hispanic population, but it was actually the Asian population that was at my school. And I was a little bit of a loner because I was rejecting this whole thing that my parents moved me to North Carolina from New York and all this stuff. So I withdrew and I withdrew into books and the books got me into the library and there was the media club and the media club. It was me and the rest of the English as a second language students because they were guidance by the librarian. That was their main go-to person as their space of respite. So connecting with people, becoming friends, going to folks' houses, eating food, learning culture, wearing the clothes, taking pictures with my friends, that kind of just instilled in me in those high school years. 
So then when I went to go to college, it was, okay, I have to be responsible. So I'm going to go for a business degree in computers, but I really have this passion of just understanding more about my friends and where they're from and all these different countries. So I minored in Asian studies. Then I said, I'm a master in Asian studies because I still want to do this for me. I still want to understand it. So that's where I studied Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, my first exposure to the Bhagavad Gita. And nowhere along those lines did yoga even come up. It was just philosophy. The closest, I guess, I can connect to the deepest would be my connection to Buddhism, the Four Noble Truths, the Dalai Lama, but yoga never really came up. I read the Bhagavad Gita. I think it was just a check off the list of all the other texts that I had to read from my master's in Asian studies, but never heard the word yoga. And how I found yoga was there was a flyer in the hallway in the arts and sciences building that said yoga on Saturdays. And that was a local studio in New Jersey. It was an Iyengar studio. And that's when you signed up for a beginner's class. You came once a week and then you'd sign up again and the teacher would tell you when to proceed into the next. So that's how I got exposed to the asana, the movement, what we package as yoga. But as I trace the dots back, Dr. Gail Parker says, tracing the dots back, it started back in high school with my friends on the inquiry of philosophy and coming to that, who am I? What are we about? Having more compassion about life as compared to the other side, which was the business side. Get the degree, get out of school, help your parents, pay off the loans, get a good job, marry a husband, have two kids, get a bunch of student loan debt, then decide that you're going to leave your job, jump out on faith, not plan to be a yoga teacher, and then you're teaching yoga full-time, yeah, for 10 years. What allowed you to jump out on faith, as you just said, to make that transition to full-time yoga teaching? Yeah, I'm I'm curious about what happened or changed or shifted for you that allowed that to happen. The shift itself was a point in time. And I think most people that take the leap like I do, they have this point in time they remember. I worked for the major electricity company here, the utility. They were merging and they were offering packages. And I'm in my late thirties. So they offer these packages to voluntarily leave. And at the time I was in a position that was on the highest floor in the newest building. I had traveled around the world thanks to this company. And when things shift and my manager left, I got an interim manager and the interim manager, when I'm sitting there ready with all my recommendations on how we can do things great and how things have been running great, They say to me, your calm demeanor gives us a sense that you don't have an urgency for the work. Mm -hmm. What? My calm demeanor? You're not talking about my performance views. You're not talking about the bonuses you've been giving me. You're not talking about how I've been doing this job when my boss has not been here for the past six months. That's when the shift hit. It was also a space where I first encountered racial dynamics with work. This company had merged prior to, and there was a Midwest element, and then there was the Southeast element. And I actually replaced someone that they let go from the Midwest because the company's primarily based in the Southeast. And the people that still were in the Midwest still had a hold on the department and how things ran. So I was an outsider and I would get just all types of comments. One time I was going to, this is part of me, I was going to go to the circus with my child during my time off. And I asked someone else, would they cover the meeting? Another person behind the scenes replies to someone else, how does she think she can ask someone else to run this meeting? Didn't you in advance that you were going to have this event? And it was just like, is this really the space that I'm in? So those like elements just started to build up. But it was also at the time where I had yoga on my calendar. Like I was into the physical practice. I was going six o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock. I was setting the lunch break where it was on the calendar and you would see it. We would be in meetings all day. Lunch break would come up. They'd be like, we're going to order food. You guys order food. Here's my yoga mat. I'm going to yoga. So it was like the block was there. You would not stop me from going to yoga. The yoga was just talking to me a little bit more. And the last element, I think, allowed the faith, no, two more components. My husband, I talked to him about it and he didn't say no. He didn't say you're crazy. He didn't say you bring in more money than I do. None of that. So that thinking, having that. But I think the bigger thing for me, 
and why I asked you earlier why you invited me on and why I feel like this is a space for me. And what I think about when I see you, I connect to this podcast, really is finding refuge in death. So my biggest teacher and my first teacher was my brother Dwight, and he passed when I was 15 years old. And that has always been a driver for me in regards to shit can get real, really easy. But also, if no one's died, things can be okay. Nobody's dying. If I leave this job, nobody's going to die. The world's not going to come to an end. So I have this faith that regardless, the worst thing that could happen is death. And I've experienced it a couple of times. I experienced it really early on, which had a big shift in my mindset. So that just really allowed me to look beyond the box, look beyond the box and just say, okay, that's it. But still, I did have a plan, Michelle. The plan was, I got a nice package. I got a nice package. I'm going to go to the movies, eat bonbons. There was a Barbara Streisand movie. She's my favorite actress. There's a Barbara Streisand movie coming out. And I had planned to go to the movies, sit down and watch that movie. To this day, Michelle, I have not had that one day where I was just like, I'm not employed. I'm not doing anything. I'm at the movies eating bonbons. Because once I left that job, the yoga just came to me and I've been running ever since with it, Mm -hmm. which then allowed me to keep the faith of don't have to go back. You don't have to go back. And people ask me, would you ever go back? I could go back. I could go back. I'd go back with stronger tools to allow me to ignore those things. But I also know that was taking away energy that wouldn't have me in the space that I am in now that space that you see me in with the community, with the Black yogi community, with the mm-hmm. wisdom and knowledge and the connections, I wouldn't have all of that space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that and the journey of your experience in that company and making the transition and how yoga came to you. It sounds like you didn't have to necessarily, I don't want to say work because you are clearly you're working and you have been, but That it was there, it was available when there was space is how I heard part of what you just named. Definitely. Your journey. Yeah. You mentioned your brother and his passing and transition as one of your greatest teachers or your greatest teacher. And I'm curious if you're willing to share more about the teachings you've received from your experience of being with his transition. I don't know what that's, so I don't want to project that, but I'm, I'm... No, I'd love to. I'd love to because it really wasn't until this 2020 space. So for me, right now, present moment, February to March is the entire year. It's just turned January, but to me, it's like the full year cycle. And this year really kind of just opened up our eyes to a lot of things because we could sit, those of us that had the privilege to, we can sit in our homes and reflect and study and meditate and really link things together that were always there, but we were constantly moving, adding on. So through all these great conversations that I've been having with people like you and my teacher, Maya, and the State of the Union, just thinking more, thinking more, and then even the energy in regards to my awareness with my Black America. I got a story to tell you because you, Sean Korn, you got me in that race in America thing. You got me. But these conversations started to pull things up and it really brought me back to how my brother, Dwight John Dowdy, like really was my first yoga teacher, my first kind of teacher of life. And I always had this as the adult. I had kind of mantra in my head, again, no one died. And I had a student who's now a phenomenal teacher, Eternity Phillips. She told me, can you flip that language a little bit, flip the language a little bit. And I see him as now that deaf is the greatest teacher versus mm-hmm. what I had in my mind. But I was 15 years old and my brother Dwight lived in New York. We lived in North Carolina. He was older, so he didn't move with us. And I would go to New York every summer. And every summer he would take care of me, in regards to taking me to the Statue of Liberty, going to the Empire State Building. He was the educator, teaching me about Black history, all that stuff. So this summer that I came to visit him, he was staying with an aunt of mine, and his health was failing. And eventually, he wound up going to the hospital in the Bronx and was diagnosed with HIV. And looking back at it, again, how yoga was even with me, 
before the college days, something had me as a 15-year-old from North Carolina, originally from New York, but not from the Bronx, get on a train every day to go see him. When my parents were in North Carolina, when the family in the Bronx wouldn't go see him, when there was a fear of what HIV was, when there was a talk of, oh, he's gay, something had me get on that train. My parents didn't tell me. No one told me. I got on the train every day to go sit in the hospital with him as a 15-year-old. And then eventually his condition progressed and my parents came up and drove him to be with us in North Carolina. And he eventually passed and I was in school. I was in school. I went to a school that had, it was just so great, the stuff I got exposed to, but it was like Weaver education. We got to leave our main high school and go to a central high school where you got business skills, art skills, automotive skills. And we were outside. My English teacher was so cool. We were outside. We were reading To Kill the Mockingbird. And no, sorry, we were reading I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. Mm -hmm. Um, We were reading it and I was outside and the car pulls up and my parents come out and they bring me to the hospital. And he passed away in hospice. And in addition to visiting him, I would rub his feet. So Mm -hmm. even now, like now that I'm more aware of Reiki, I just was attuned in Reiki in September. I was 15 years old. I was rubbing his feet, that type of stuff. So then the next lesson came. The next lesson came, which also was the big lesson, was he passed away on Halloween. And I have a sister that's 10 years younger than me. I recall us leaving the hospital. I recall my parents going to their bedroom for a little bit. And I don't know which parent came down, but they said, you're going to still go to take your sister to see Disney on ice. Keep it moving. They didn't use the word keep it moving, but that's how it was. It was like, you're going to go to Disney on ice while we sit here and maybe mourn, because I don't know if that's what you're doing, but you're going to do that. And my sister's 10 years younger than me. So then as I look back and share with my friends, that's when the childhood Keisha left and the, you're going to be the responsible adult Keisha came in. I became the sister that my brother was to me. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take you places. I'm going to educate you. I'm not going to work as hard as our parents. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then that took me into college. It took me into leaving North Carolina. And then freshman year, that's when the grief hit. Freshman year, the grief hit. And that's when I remember I just started crying. And to give you some context, from New York to North Carolina, New York followed me. Friends called me New York. They always expected me to be in New York. I always had the hard attitude. I wore the sneakers. I smoked the blunts. I was New York. And something happened when I went to college that first year. I remember walking around the gym one night for exercise and I just started crying. And then I became soft, Keisha, and things started to become softer. And that was a part of all of those lessons, I guess. First, the, okay, experience death really early. Then the keep it moving. Mm-hmm. We keep it moving. Nobody died. Keep it moving. Nobody died. Keep it moving. Then the reality of letting it out and not holding it in and ripping the mask off and saying, nope, I'm not New York. I am soft inside. Wow. I am soft inside. And this is affecting me. And we might not talk about it. But it's a reality for me. It's a big reality for me. This past year, I officially put him on my altar, picture of my brother on my altar to remind me of that positive wisdom from everything. And then with us with COVID and pandemic, that was also a shaking up of him and his energy, comparing pandemics and how people treat things and and not to live through a pandemic once. I've been through one already. So just a lot really just stirred up. And he was the one thing that kind of bubbled up. And when I started to, I don't want to say prepare, when people connect with me, I want to understand more. So Mm -hmm. it was in November, you contacted me about the podcast. And if you notice, you probably didn't because you have an assistant that handles things. You contacted me in November. I asked for the latest appointment you had. Yeah, I noticed. Because I was like, why? And then I started listening to the podcast and I kept looking for it 
And I heard a lot of things. I heard my connections, how I feel with people. I heard my connections with Kelly Palmer. I heard my connections with Sean Corey. And not just the connections I already have with them, but little nuggets that I didn't know about them. Wow. And how we're regulated. Or the last one, which was really my centering for this morning, your podcast that you just did with Kine. And Kine being in South Carolina. And for us Carolinians, that means it's South Carolina is North Carolina. So listening to your podcast and still always just trying to find, right, where am I fitting in here? Where am I fitting in here? I have a virtual assistant that I love that helps me stay organized, Courtney. And I kept saying, Courtney, I don't know why, but I feel like every time I hear Michelle's podcast, it makes me sad. It makes me want to grieve. It makes me want to talk about death. Am I supposed to go in there and try to bring some light? I don't know what it is. And then it circled back to where you caught me, present moment, which is this year wrapping up mm-hmm. and really seeing the whole package of it. So let me, you want me to pause? Cause I'm a Gemini. I could just keep talking. You're teaching me and us in this moment. So I want you to do whatever would feel most supportive in this moment. And I so appreciate you sharing more of your story. I didn't know any of these things and even how you were thinking about or have thought about the last year and this pandemic now shaking up things or the energy of your brother. So if there are more teachings you want to offer, you can, there's space. I wouldn't say it's a teaching, but I think it, well, I guess it could be a teaching. So my teacher, Maya Breuer, who I love, Mm -hmm. I will use the word guru. I will run you up and down about the definition of it. When I first connected with Maya, Maya gave me an exercise or a practice, and she told me to practice satya for a year. And not in the sense of being kind to people, but speaking the truth when something didn't feel well. And at that time, I was in the space of waking up to mental health in regards to my sister and my family. So that awareness. So pretty much the lesson for me was speaking the truth. How you doing, Keisha? I'm not doing good. How you doing, Keisha? In jail. How you doing, Keisha? Right. Versus, ooh, I'm not going to dump that on you. But you asked me how I was doing. I'm going to let you know how I'm doing. But also speaking the truth of, on Facebook, I'm going to go to this yoga and mental health workshop, which then allowed other people to say, can I go with you? So that, I guess, would be the teaching I'll share right now. So I'm in present. The year has wrapped up, right? We're full year with COVID. And as I sit, reflect, feel, especially being here in North Carolina, Charlotte, where we got no snow to make me feel mm-hmm. happy. It's been gray, gloomy, winter, the death of a right. cycle, but I'm clinging towards that rebirth spring cycle. But as I catalog things, and this is just personally me, but I know everyone can do this list. And if you really sat down and magnified the list, they're in the hospital. They're getting their leg amputated. They're going to therapy. They catch COVID. They get home. They don't have the services to get to dialysis. Will they die? Mm-hmm. Next person, they have COVID. That means I can't go to work. I'm aging. I have hip surgery. Six months later, the hip surgery doesn't help. Now I'm going for an MRI. Now I'm asking my daughter for money. Now my daughter is stressing about, do I need to go back to work? Do I need to teach more? There's the family. You shouldn't be drinking. It's killing your liver. There's the mental health. There's the government. I'm going to give you all this money on unemployment for no place to go so that you can now get hooked back up on your drugs and alcohol and shit crash and burn. Mm -hmm. There are court cases. There are family feuds. There are seniors that you can't get access to. There are seniors that are in the hospital that don't have family members to get access to. So this is not even like putting names on people. These are just like instances. Mm -hmm. And this person's mother died. This person's father died. Light a candle, light a candle, light a candle, say a prayer, light a candle, smile, have the energy for them, share the yoga with them, bring the wisdom with them. Yes. And then all through this, I've had growth in regards to, if I put the word business on it, I've had growth. 
if I put the point of that I've been able to thrive teaching inside my home versus going outside of my home, that we can pay the bills, that my husband still has his job, that my kids are healthy, my child's been there. So thriving. And at one point, I guess I was looking at other people, not. Mm-hmm. But as I look at us collectively and all that collectively, I'm with it too. Yeah. So as you found me today, like that's what I really share is where I presently am. It's how it's been. But then that renewal, like we got those three days of sunshine, really. And when I stepped outside and did that walk and I heard the birds, I forgot that I hadn't heard the birds. And the way the sun hit me, it was like, girl, spring coming. There's going to be some rebirth. The cycle's going to come around and around again. So that space of hope. And then also the reminder to shed and go back to your practices. So I'm sure you hear all the time how a lot of us yogis, we go, when we get to this point, we haven't been on my mat. Even though we might be doing our philosophy and all that stuff, we'll come to a point where we're like, I haven't gotten on my mat. Not, I haven't taught and gotten on my mat. I haven't gotten on my mat. And we all get to that. That was part revelation. But then for me, the other thing that I try to focus on in my practice is the three things role, three things on the to-do list. And if I accomplish these three things, the day was grand. Check mark. Because let's go back to the death. Really, I might not be here. Like, I really might not be here tomorrow. So if I just have to pocket today, did I accomplish those three things versus the hundreds of things that I seem to have accumulated in this 2020 space? And those things actually being the wider community. So I have to find myself bringing myself back to those three things that typically reside within my home space. And then once I check those off, the heart feels good. And then I can go ahead to work on the hundred list, but the heart just feels good from being centered by just that being enough. So if I did decide to pull the covers over my head for the rest of the day, it would be okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So much gratitude for all the teachings and just you sharing truthfully, vulnerably, right? Authentically, which I'm not surprised by just in enthralled in listening. And I I have two questions. One is in hearing you talk about this year, do you, and you don't have to answer this, but does your brother show up? Do you feel him? Do you, he's on your altar. You mentioned that this year. Does he presence himself in some way that you're aware of, I guess, in this realm? Yes. Oh yes. This year I got entranced by primarily East Asian philosophy. My brother was black power to a T. Mm-hmm. My brother was, he used to read atlases and almanacs and have statistics on all the Negro baseball players. And again, he would bring me that enlightenment. He would try to take me into those spaces to learn. And at that time, it was like, oh, he's taking me places great. But as I look future, that's what Maya has brought to me as a student of yoga, student of this life, that awareness of our history. So in regards to my brother, when I got invited by Maya for the Unity and Yoga podcast or Unity and Yoga something, Yoga Alliance, like it was get back into your history. Really pay attention to this. Last month, I was partnering with Yoga Jubilee and they had an event on Martin Luther King. Do your research, do your study. Wow, right? When I was with you and Sean Corn and Nikki Myers, Race in America, that took me back to the book that I still have not finished reading. It's one of the possessions I still have from my brother. It's unabridged encyclopedia thick. It's, you probably know it, but it's Black history. The print is so small. And I remember when I took it from him, when he passed, I was like, this is boring. Where's the ninjas? And where's the philosophy? And where was the dojos and all that stuff? And it was so dense. But that's what I've been drawn back to this year was like a heightened awareness, not a heightened awareness, but doing more history, more research. When I was on State of the Union, they had set the kind of connection to, oh, goodness, now I'm losing my thoughts. I've done so many things. The author will come back to me in a moment. But I've been going to online Black theater. He, yeah, so he's shown up in that space. He's shown mm-hmm. up in that space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I've had a lot of people transition and they show up in different ways. And so 
I'm always curious to know how people are, are showing up for others or beings, not necessarily just humans. I have animals that show up too that have transitioned, but a lot of people have transitioned and so Only I appreciate you. I got more for you, Michelle. Now we yes, you got me started. Well, I got glad. myself started. <laughs> you did. The biggest space that he shows up and that he revealed himself again this year is I'm a huge Prince fan. And my brother was the one who introduced me to Prince. He was the mm-hmm. older teenager that brought it into the house. He was the one that wanted to go to the concert, which meant the whole family went to the concert. Me, my right. father, my mother. So having all that. And that is the one like constant. Like yesterday, there's this DJ Tori Sands that I love. He does these pop-ups on Facebook. And I was feeling that low. And I just happened to be on Facebook. And he came on. And my husband looked at me like, we're supposed to do movie time, but I feel like you need this Tory time. So I sat and I listened. It just took my energy up. But one day back in November, so October, oh, October marked, was it 25 mm. years of his passing? So just numbers started popping up. Like it's mm-hmm. a significant number of years that he passed. And then I woke up one night in the middle of the night and Tory was on. And it was like three o'clock in the morning, like a three, three, three number, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he played this song by Prince called Revelation. Mm-hmm. And I started listening to it. And then my brother just started talking to me. And mm-hmm. it was, you know what? It has been this long, Keisha. And you need to let it go from that perspective of mm-hmm. nobody died. You need to let it go from that perspective. And you need to go ahead and. I don't want to say live, but I've shifted into, I guess, that living out your childhood needs. So I started mm-hmm. taking ballet lessons. Ballet was one of the things that was taken away from me because they moved us and done. Mm-hmm. I never did ballet again, but I started taking ballet lessons with my friend Candace Jennings. So that reminder to enjoy, live, go ahead and do you. And it also helps to like keep me with the boundaries of my sister and my mother, who I love very dearly, because that was just instilled in me. Like family was really instilled in me, but also keeping that family at a distance too, keeping family mm-hmm. at a distance and not jumping into the saver mode, the saver right. mode, because that's what I felt the bottle up to, like all the people I keep mentioning in the candles. Not that I want to fix them, but I jump in. How can I help? How can I save? How can I lessen their burden? How can I offer them less? How can I offer them more? Let me make time to go visit them. Let me make time to call them. Hey, wait, I need something poured back into me too, which is really me exploring those spaces that I often neglect um, in our self-care world. That would be like the creative side, the childhood side, In our yoga space, it would be that sacral space, just letting things go versus being the, all right, I'm going to get things done. Because if people do follow me, you'll see I'm everywhere. (laughs) I'm everywhere (laughs) doing everything, teaching everything. It's like, when do you sit down and do you have a family? Um, Yes, I actually do. I do them all, but that pulls me back into being a little person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that. Making space to be a little person or connect with that creativity or innocence as well. And you've mentioned a few, many different ways you are finding refuge or practicing self-care. And I know you practice collective and community care all of the time too, and the work you do and the practice. And I'm curious to know if during this time, what I mean is the last year, as you talked about, are there, and maybe it's the same, but are there new things that you've begun to practice given the moment which has been more than a moment, but the year we've had and been in, are there things you practice to stay centered or grounded? Yes, yes, yes. Not new things, but tapping into the things that are always there. So when we had the first day home at the beginning of March or middle of March, my yin yoga studies kicked in. And it was like, you prepared to sit still. You prepared mm-hmm. to sit in silence. You prepared to not have as much mentally. You are prepared. So that kicked in. And that actually became a theme for my teachings, a focus on my teachings, the offerings that I've given people, 
I do a lot of one-on-one yin trainings versus group trainings because it's really more a philosophy tapping back into my Asian studies background versus just the physical sensations people think about yin. So that kicked in and that has started to really weave into all of my other yoga teachings, which brings us back to the whole thing of balance. So just that yin state of energy kicked in. But then also I am ecstatic about it. Wednesdays, before COVID, Wednesday was the hump day. And at Mm -hmm. first it was hump day. Mm -hmm. I teach from 6 a.m. all the way to 8.30 p.m. And I'm teaching six classes because before COVID, I was teaching 20 classes, over 300 people a week. And seriously, Michelle, really trying to make everything accessible for everyone. So Mm -hmm. I'm constantly thinking, planning, studying, questioning, all of those things. The yen kicked in. Then Wednesdays used to be my big day, which was the home day. Then I had to switch mindset and say, Wednesday's the day I get to be with all these people and experience this life. Mm -hmm. Since COVID, Wednesday has been my sadhana day, my sanctuary day, my complete off day. I get up when I want to. I study with Krishna Carr out in Los Angeles. I might study with Jay Miles, some breath work. I might make myself something. I might watch Judge Judy. It's the last season. Mm -hmm. I might just watch Judge Judy on the couch, but Wednesday is it. So I've declined every Mm -hmm. offering to teach on Wednesday, every offering to do an interview, anything. No, Wednesday is the day. And now I'm almost shifting it to where Thursday is going to be the day. And Mm -hmm. that's stuff that I learned from Kelly Palmer, who you knew about creating this life that we want and it is accessible and we can have enough. So that's really been kicking in. I've always been an early bird out Mm -hmm. and about teaching early, practicing early, getting the kids places early. But now it is like, I'm still getting up early at home. So the ritual of the morning, it's quiet. Everybody's sleep, reading my daily word, figuring out what the intention is going to be, what those three things are going to be. Still trying to figure out how to make myself a latte. I'm a Starbucks addict, specifically pumpkin spice lattes, which are out of season. But friends are helping me try to figure out what my just morning drink is, because that's always been ritual. Because when I was younger, it was hot chocolate. It's just Mm -hmm. doing that, lighting the candle, setting the altar. So the morning time is really heightened as sacred versus just me being an early bird disciplined person getting up. So really appreciate that. Those would be the key things that have completely shifted. And I know are the anchors and things that I definitely want to keep going as life continues to shift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What you named about ritual and all of the things you named are connected in my mind to ritual and morning time being sacred. That's the time too, that I sit in front of my altar. Well, I have many altars, but an ancestor altar, and then a, another altar that changes And I sit in front of that and and meditate and pull cards. And when I do not do that, I can feel it. And I appreciate you talking about how sacred that time is. And Wednesdays and how you think of them now, and it's your sadhana day and taking that time to do whatever it is you want to do and just move, inviting yourself into that and allowing it, I think is such a powerful practice and offering to others when you've been in sadhana and then go back out into the world. Yes. The way that you are. Yeah. So thank you for sharing those rituals with us. And you've mentioned Maya a few times, and I'm wondering if there are other teachers, and you can continue to call Maya too, but any teachers you want to call into this space? Because we talked about like lessons and teachings and ritual, and I'm curious to know if you want to call some into this this state that influenced you. Definitely. Because I feel that a part of my space now and actually has been since I connected with Maya. So most people have heard this story if they've listened to me or read anything. Maya came to me from a research paper, my 200 hour, the first one I did with Christine Colvery Weber. It was the only program that I came across that required a research paper because she's academic. And it was like, hey, academics, I like it. Mm -hmm. So I chose yoga in the African-American community because I was in a group of 13 people. And one day during training, they turned around and looked at me and said, why don't more black people do yoga? And that was the Mm -hmm. first time I had even really thought about it because I just did yoga. It was never Mm -hmm. 
I don't feel comfortable here. So anyway, I did this research paper and then that's how I found Maya. I found John Along. I found the Black Yoga Teacher Alliance Conference. I found Krishna Carr. I found about Dr. Gail Parker. I found about Shola out in London. I found Dana Smith in Maryland. I found Robin Downs, Yoga Flavor in New York. And all these people, I've had the opportunity to actually be with, to learn with, to be in community with. So living ancestors, I feel like right now, presently, I'm like the story keeper. I could tell you so many stories, even you, like you'd be like, how can she know that information about me? I will sit there and point people be like, all right, Michelle's down there. There's Kanae over there. You better talk to Sean Curry over here. I have some friends out in the West Coast space, like DuJour, but I'm like Kevin mm-hmm. Bacon now in my mind with the, <laughs> the Black yogis. So there's this magnitude of people that I constantly want to pay homage to for the work that they are out there doing and being that model and representative for us and like really just true, true wisdom. And I love what Maya is doing in her role with Yoga Alliance and the Sanghas and the podcast and bringing all of us in. And that's been a teaching of hers. And you hear my voice peaks up when I talk about Maya and stuff. But when I first connected with her through her Women of Color retreat, she always shares the first year she did it by herself. And then after that, she realized she couldn't do it alone. And she constantly brings in people to support all of her programming, to give them amplified voice to share. Mm -hmm. So that's something that's carried on with me and how I do my programs and trainings and my I Am Yoga line of work, constantly pulling in the people in the community and then trying to branch even further beyond. Mm -hmm. So yes, definitely those names to mention as OGs, triple OGs, but then also Mm -hmm. thanks to Christine Weber, my teacher through Subtle Yoga, where I was in this space where I was pushed to think beyond the typical asana. And it was focused on her teacher training was called subtle yoga, 200 hour yoga teacher training and personal transformation program. And in the beginning, I was like, I'm not here for no personal transformation. I was Mm -hmm. the last one in the cohort to cry, all of that (laughs) stuff. Still didn't think I got the transformation until I connected with Maya. And that's when Mm -hmm. I did my second 200. But thanks to Christine, thanks to Paul Grilly and Josh Summers, who I study yin yoga under and their teaching. Yeah, I could continue Jay Miles. I do Pranayama studies with Jay on Wednesdays. Just everybody is a teacher, of course, but those key Mm -hmm. elders, as I would call them. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know about them, just look up blackyogateacheralliance.org and you'll see a plethora of people in the directory. There is another conference coming up this August. So maybe we'll connect to some folks virtually. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for calling in some of your teachers. I think it's an important practice and I know you do it. and, And it's one of the reasons I wanted to ask you to call them in here. And I think I have one final question which is, I don't know which month it was. I saw you were teaching a course about the Bhagavad Gita and I was interested in teaching during that time. And I know you've emailed about it before with me. And so it's a text I'm like always connected with, but I'm, I find myself reading it every day now, some part of it to meet this moment. Again, it's bigger than a moment. And some of it's so not new, what's happening, and some of it feels new to me. And I'm wondering if there is a verse or part of the Gita that feels resonant to you, given what is happening now, what is unfolding in our in the earthly realm, in our worldly lives. Is there a verse or a, there's so many lessons from that, but something you'd want to share with folks from that text? What I would share, what just resonates with me, is that there are many paths. That's the biggest lesson for me in the Gita. There are 18 chapters and each one is a path in itself, is a lesson in itself. We could start with that first path of that internal struggle and that war and dealing with the conflicts that we have within ourselves. Am I wearing a mask? Am I not wearing a mask? Am I getting the shot? Am I not getting the shot? Am I mad at my cousin this week? Am I not mad at my cousin next week? All of that to the you know furthest realm of trusting your creator and trusting your fate. But the main thing is that there are many paths and we're all going to see it differently. I'm grateful for the lens that I have. I think it's 
pretty bright most of the times. It gets clouded by feelings, emotions, mm-hmm. realities, but knowing that there are many paths and I can always step on any of them. Also, just the Bhagavad Gita in itself, the fact that it's been translated as many times as it has, the second most translated book in the world shows you that there are that many versions and thoughts about mm-hmm. things. So always going back to darshana and philosophy with yoga, it's just a way of seeing. It's just mm-hmm. a way of seeing. And I don't want to quote a verse because even as I just listen to things now, because I'm like, I feel like I'm like a download, an encyclopedia download with books and with podcasts and with Zooms. There's the talk of the true yoga, the pure yoga. And if you're not practicing the eight limbs of yoga, or if you don't mm-hmm. know about the Bhagavad Gita, you're not doing yoga. Nope. There's still thousands of paths that don't even look at the eight limbs of yoga. So there's just so many paths. It's just about how we want to live on this earth. Really, that self-actualization. How do we want to live on this earth? And it's a great tool. The Bhagavad Gita is a great tool for that. And anyone that you know is looking to go deeper beyond eight limbs, definitely a great place to start. Yeah, definitely a great place to start. But no, no verse. I guess if I did think of a verse, I think it's one I quoted. It's the one around where not many will completely follow the path. Mm-hmm. And that tends to be a part of my struggle too, right? Where I'm clear on my path and I'm also clear that I might be the only person in my immediate person on that path. Mm-hmm. I might be the only person in my yoga studio on that path, but I still have to intersect all those paths and not disappear like they don't exist or that I'm better than the paths that they're on because we're going to intersect at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's one chapter. It's in the teens where it pretty much just says, not everybody's going to go down this path. Not everybody's going to handle it. Not everybody wants to see it. Not everybody wants to feel it. And I feel that one of those, I'm grateful to be one of one of those that want to be on the path and want to see it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing about that. What about um, you, Michelle? I'm going to flip it back on you. Give me some education. Great. Well, the verse that I always talk about is, I have a book coming out in July called Finding Refuge, like this podcast. And so this is connected to it. The no effort is wasted, no gain ever reversed. Even a little of this practice, meaning practicing our dharma, will protect you from great sorrow. There are different ways it's it's talked about. One translation is finding refuge. And that are when we are engaged in our dharma, when we're on the path, even though there are things that will distract us, we can find refuge in living into our dharma instead of trying to live into someone else's. So that's the verse. Mm. And the power of the practice, the power of Dharma, that's what I always come back to that verse because I heard it at a time when I was exhausted. I was like spiritually exhausted, physically exhausted. And I didn't even know what the person was reading because the Gita wasn't part of my teacher training. And this teacher read it and it just struck me. And I think in a lot of ways held me that verse. It's yes, totally like a Vasanat or a, that's what it feels like to me. What I love, I'm always like synchronizing things and connecting things to unite things and connect with people. But the verse you chose sounds like the yin to the yang verse that I chose, Mm -hmm. where not everybody's going to be on the path. You might be doing it alone. Can't really judge everyone. And here you come with the no effort is wasted. So even if they're only doing a little bit, you're doing a lot, or if they're just seeing a little bit and you're seeing a lot, you still are on the same journey. So yeah, thank you. That's Mm -hmm. right. Thank you for connecting that. I don't know which chapter it is, but the chapter where Krishna reveals his powers to Arjuna and both shows the splendor and destruction, what spirit and God can do. And I've been thinking a lot about that and going back to that chapter and how Arjuna became afraid when he actually saw the magnitude of Krishna's powers. The splendor was okay, but the destruction wasn't and so much so that he asked Krishna to return to the version of himself that Arjuna had known prior to him revealing his power. I have to think about it more, but it's been sitting with me for about a month. I keep thinking about that chapter and, and spirit and what's being revealed at this time and what I don't understand and what I think I understand. So, May I give you something else to think about as you yeah. think about that? And it's what your energy has to me as you were saying it, putting yourself in the role of Krishna and seeing all of your good and all of your bad and where your light could go. And uh, yeah, that's what hit me when you said 
than seeing my good, seeing my bad. Cause I did have a end of year bad where I was like, oh, that wasn't yogi. Oh, you shouldn't have did that. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And then also the, you shouldn't shine so much. You shouldn't shine so much. Mm. You shouldn't have so much fortune. You shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't. But one more thing to share about practices, very big into horoscopes and also more recently cards. And my friend Candace shared with me the Gemini reading for March. And it is about the renewal, the energy to shine. This is your time. Mm -hmm. You have been doing the hard work. Focus on your hard work. Don't be depleted. Don't give up. There we go. Back to what you just said, that whole verse, that constant battle. We're back in that. Yes. I know. Always. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that's coming up that you want folks to know about? Is there anything you want to share about what you're up to? May I share someone else? Absolutely. Yes. I want to share the wisdom of death, Mm. insights to living life fully by Esha Estar, E-S-H-A-E-S-T-A-R. I'm finding refuge in this. Another Mm. local North Carolinian yoga teacher who lost their husband unexpectedly and has been going on the journey of finding themselves and living through the wisdom of death. So some of the stuff we talked about, like with my brother, it might resonate some of the language in here for folks that do need it. Because like I mentioned, a lot of folks lost loved ones this year, whether from COVID or health, stress. So being able to find some refuge in the words, we run from those things. They don't sound good. We don't want to talk about them, but it's the reality. I'd like to offer up the wisdom of death, insights to living life fully by Esha Estar. Yeah. Mm, thank you. Because Keisha personally don't need to be doing nothing else. Honestly, my calendar. <laughs> You're doing great. a lot. I don't need to do nothing else. Right. <laughs> yes. Thank yes. you for sharing that. They're sharing someone else and that information and story. And I just want to thank you again for being here and saying yes and sharing everything that you have with me and the listeners and community. So thank you, Keisha. Thank you very much, Michelle. I appreciate you having me here. And one last connection to ancestors. I'll have to share a picture of my cousin, Gina. You are on the same complexion. You have the same beautiful space of teeth, the same just kind of energy. I find family in this space here. So thank you. Thank you. Yes. I would love to see a picture. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. You can support Finding Refuge by sharing it with your friends, family members, and beloveds, and rating it on iTunes. You can support my work by becoming a patron on Patreon. My name on Patreon is Skill in Action. Thank you so much, and take care, friends.